That was offensive. I accidentally clicked on an email I should not have clicked on. and Well, I clicked on an email from my husband, and I opened a link I should not have opened because it was, like, instantly infuriating. I don't want to say anything about that terrible thing that happened to the United States in November um, because I'll spend the next two hours bitching about that, and who wants that? I just want to go on record and say that I haven't been able to eat Cheetos since it happened. I have a whole bag of baked Cheetos, and I can't even open it. Tonight, we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about, um, and whoever I rope into talking with me later about it, uh, uh, creativity and um, being productive. And a lot of times, like, I have a very active mind. Um, and one of the, uh, problems that I encounter because I have a very active mind is insomnia. And those of you who are hardwired that way will totally understand that. I can, I can be physically exhausted and lay down and not go to sleep because my head's filling me. I mean, I've got so much going on in my brain. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, and, um, I, uh. Um, I'll, like, plot whole books sitting in my bed, laying in my bed. Uh, I will, you know, uh, rework scenes continuously in my head when I can't sleep. Uh, so, it beca- and because I'm doing this, I can't sleep. And I can't sleep, so I do it. So it's like a vicious circle. And I get myself really worked up, and then, you know, I don't go to sleep. So, uh, but... One of the problems also uh, with being um, having a very active brain and being a creative person at the same time, although I've never encountered a person who was really um, active the way I am who wasn't also creative, whether they were an artist or a writer or um, a musician. Uh, I've I've never encountered someone who didn't have a hyperactive thought process that wasn't creative in some way. Anyways, um, the problem is, is that uh, because I do have a lot going on, um, <clears throat> I have a lot going on in my head, and I've got all these ideas, and I move things around, and um, I do these scenes in my head, is that it's sometimes really difficult to be um, productive because I have so many different ideas and I can't let go um I can't concentrate on one. Uh so it messes me up. And one of the problems that I encountered during Nano isn't so much that other projects were distracting from me, but 
the idea behind synthetic is so big and there's so much there and there's so much room for exploration and there's so many ways to go and so many ways to get there and so many places. It's just, it was, I, I don't even know. Um, I I should not have tackled something that big for Nano. Um, note to self. Uh, and I had another idea that was really good, and I should have went with it, but I thought that it wasn't. Um, I just didn't think it was enough for the for the premise for because I really wanted to go all in on um, building a new world and creating a new situation and putting my characters down in a very different situation, and um, I did that. Unfortunately, <laughs> I also. Um, put myself in a position of not being able to play with my content because of it being on Rough Trade. Uh, you guys saw some of my world building, and um, you saw about 5% of my world building, to be perfectly honest. Um, I have three notebooks full of synthetic material at this point, um, and each notebook is 100 pages long. Um over 75% of that is back-to-back. So it's, um, I probably have close to 500 handwritten pages um, of material for synthetic. Uh, and that's just like world building and um, uh, plot works. Uh, and my plot works notebook is mostly um, uh, different questions that I ask myself and then scenes picking out scenes to answer those questions and, you know, like giving a paragraph to it saying, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. John says this, you know, and it's not like actual, I've written um, my book in these pages. And then I have about 62 K of written material, which is how I, I won nano. Um, But it, it's all a big mess. It's, it's, and I don't normally it's it's my own fault. It's my own fault. And um, my other idea was was really cool, and I sh- I should have written it, and I do have it, and I'm going to write it. Um, and it was called uh, Flight, and it was about um, uh, John. Um, John Shepard is uh, is it was uh, semi futuristic, set you know somewhat in the future, but not like in the distant future, like what I did with synthetic. And John is an astronaut, and he is um, on a exploratory mission to Venus. And um, unbeknownst to him, um, while he's outside the craft uh, testing out a um, a, uh, a a winged kind of suit for exploration of the planet because of the gravity situation on Venus. It was a very good place to test something like that. Um, Someone else on the ship kills his whole crew. And then themselves. And uh, with poison. And, of course, they killed themselves. They put poison into the ship to kill everybody. um, To sabotage the mission. And then John stuck on the outside. Well, Rodney is on a um, 
a uh, stationary space station uh, in between Venus and Earth. And it's a European Union um, uh, endeavor. And that John and John works with NASA. So Rodney used to work for NASA, and, but they parted ways because he wanted to build the space station, and NASA didn't want to do it. But the European Union agreed to do it for Rodney, so he was like, "Hell yeah! You put me in space, I'll go. I'll come work for you." So he's on Atlantis, the space station. Of course, I named it Atlantis. Come on now. Um, and John is on the outside of the ship, um, in orbit around Venus. And um, this person has sabotaged it and killed the crew. And um, one of the last things um, that a crew member did, um, and it was Kavanaugh. I, I had it be Kavanaugh in my plot. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Kavanaugh vented the atmosphere in the ship to clean out the poison as he was dying. So that if John can get back in the ship, he'll be okay. And that was Kavanaugh's dying act. Um on the ship. And Rodney built the ship that John is on. Now, John's able to get contact with NASA because he had contact with NASA the entire time his mission was going on. So they're telling him that they can't um, auto, they can't get John back into the ship. They don't know how, there's just, they don't, they don't have the ability to do it. Their remote is damaged. Um, it, it's just not going to happen. And um, Rodney, who's been listening to this, uh, cuts in and tells John how to get into the ship manually. Uh, so John ignores NASA and does what Rodney says because he wants to live. And he gets into the ship and um, the person who's the bad guy – and the, the bad guy was an O.C., uh, I, I didn't want to get accused of character bashing because um, I'm often accused of that, and most often it's true, but I didn't want to do that. And um, so the ship's been sabotaged, and it can't be saved. And Rodney tells this – Rodney tells John this before NASA does, several hours before NASA does. But by the time NASA tells John that they can't salvage the ship – it's too late for him to prep for evacuation. But because Rodney had already told him, John's been prepping for evacuation this entire time. He is ready. He is getting out of this fucking ship. So he launches his evacuation, and um, he's in a pod. He's in an escape pod. And um, he, um, his flight back to um, Earth is kind of boring. And he um, talks with Rodney, whom he's never actually met. And so they have this kind of um, over-the-radio romance the entire time he's coming back. And then uh, while John's asleep, someone on Earth sabotages his pod with with an upload. And he has to... uh, like I think he has to get. I think in my plot he had to get rid of his fuel. I, there, there's something he's he's fucked again. He's been fucked again, and because they don't want him back on Earth, telling everybody what happened. That you know that the sabotage was um, intentional because on Earth they're saying that um, that it was an accident, and so they're trying to sabotage John so he can't get back and tell everybody what really happened. So Rodney runs John through a different scenario, 
and he has to, they're going to redirect the pod. Uh, and John is going to have to leave the pod in his flight suit that was just meant for Venus. And he doesn't know if it's going to work, but it's his only option. And uh, Rodney catches him. That's right. He does. He catches him. And they live happily ever after. <laughs> and that was my original idea. And I I really should have gone with it. Um, uh, I think it would have been much easier to write during NaNo. And um, uh, it was just a very, uh, very sweet uh, romance idea, which is what I wanted to write. I wanted to write like a really sweet slow burn romance and that would have totally been a slow burn romance because they were separated literally by thousands of miles of space (laughs) and it would have been awesome it would have been awesome but I didn't do that and um the idea you know synthetic is so big I think synthetic is actually um maybe 10, 15 times bigger than Lantean Legacy in my head. And I I wanted to tell a small story and a big idea. And that's um, that was my problem. And it's still my problem because I don't know um, – Julie just said in the chat room that she wouldn't be surprised if I got one million words out of synthetic. And I totally agree with you. I would not be surprised to get a million words out of synthetic Um, because I had tried to kind of separate it into novellas and that didn't work. Um, uh, So I'm back to the idea of doing um, episodes. Uh, And I have this idea of um, doing uh, episodes by the day. And um, when John wakes up, they are 75 days from the planet. So that's 75 episodes. Not counting the stuff on Earth I've written, the stuff on Gaia I've written. (laughs) It's just, it's... Why is my brain so weird? I mean, why is my brain so weird? Does anybody have an answer? Overactive. Hyperactive. Anyway, so um, my idea for flight was, was really sweet, and um, but I kind of felt like it wasn't different enough for the challenge. Um, so I didn't so – I, so I put it aside and um, – Synthetic was born, and um, I don't want you to get the idea that I hate uh, what I've done so far with synthetic, because the fact is, is I love it. I love it too much, um, and I'm too interested in it, and uh, the the problem is, is that when you get an idea like that, and it's too involving, and too interesting, and you have so many different ways you can twist and turn, and you can't help but do it, um, it really lowers your productivity, I mean, I'm just, um, just, I'm just having a really, really hard time um, uh, getting a full grasp on 
plot and uh, spreading because it's just like it's um it's kind of like trying to put a gallon of water in a cup. That's what I tried to do in November. I tried to put a gallon of water in a cup. <laughs> and Julie's saying teaspoon. <laughs> it might have been a teaspoon. It might be, yeah. It, it might have been a teaspoon. Um, and it's just, it was it was really difficult. And um, I, um, I hated uh, backing out of the challenge as quickly as I did. But I was really um, stressing myself out. And um, I was really unhappy with um the product um that was coming together and um not the individual pieces i love the individual pieces um my rhythm was off and there was something about the pacing of the scenes that really uh, there's just something wrong with it and um it's just you know as um as a reader i'm you don't see the things that I see as a writer and you're not seeing, um, you don't have any kind of expectation as to what should be there and what's not there. Like if I, you know, I, um, there's a scene, the, the first scene where John and Rodney meet on, um, the Odyssey, there's a, that when John comes into the rec room and John and Rodney are um, having their first conversation, um, in decades. Um, for John, it's 25 plus years. For Rodney, it is 100 plus years because Rodney has cycled several times on the Odyssey. There are, um, it, it lacked the tension that I wanted to be there because they had a very fractious past. Um, and um they they used to be really really good friends um and then that fell apart and um they were very angry with each other over what they lost in their friendship and so that tension that i wanted to build and i got my hand in the air like you can fucking see that uh that tension that i wanted to build was just not there and it was um and I never got it. And that's because, that's because when I came into the challenge, like I said, I wanted to write some sweet, slow-burning romance. Um, already set them up in such a way that that kind of sweet, slow-burning romance was not going to happen. That's not what should be happening in my plot. Uh, that's not, there shouldn't be this, um, there's a gentleness in that scene um, that shouldn't be there. And it's because of what I wanted to do um, emotionally versus what I needed to do intellectually. That's not how I plotted that scene to take place, but that's how it got written because that's what I wanted to write. I wanted to write that sweet romance. Also, um, have you ever written something and you finish it and it's done and it's it's just it's really perfect just the way it is but you wish you were still writing it because I'm 
I'm really mad that I finished courting Hermione Granger. I'm really mad about it. <laughs> I'm really, really mad. <laughs> because I still want to be writing it. And it makes me think about those um those writers on um on fanfiction.net, especially fanfiction.net, where their their stories like 500,000 words. And I didn't I didn't really understand um what that was until until recently when I um when I finished my story and I didn't want it to be over. Because if I didn't have discipline, courting Hermione Granger would be 500k. <laughs> I mean, it would just be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. But um it's just <sighs> Anyway, I mean, I love the story just the way it is and I think it's perfect. I think that um the plot worked really well and um the character movement was great and my pace was awesome and I'm really proud of it. Um and I wouldn't want to change anything about it, but I just really wish I was still writing it. I mean, I really enjoyed the experience of of, of writing I'm Courting Hermione Granger. So it's more of a um, an emotional response than an intellectual response. Because uh, I can look at other works and think, oh, I should do something a little bit different there. That's not what I should have done. But with Courting Hermione Granger, I don't have that. I just wish I was still writing it. It's a very emotional need, not um, a uh, from a craft perspective or anything like that. It's just pure emotional. Um, and um, also, I'm still kind of irritated with the Harry Potter fandom, and um, that could be part of it. Uh, and uh, for the record, I haven't stopped writing Harry Potter. I just stopped posting it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. I... I yeah, when I get unmad at the Harry Potter fandom, I'll probably unload 500k of new fic on you guys. Um, just, just be prepared for that when it when it happens. Um, anyways, curiously, uh, uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, um, since I made the announcement of taking a break from the Harry Potter fandom, I have written 45K of Harry Potter fic. And I replotted season two of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Because I'm tired of him being in school. (laughs) So... So season two is going to open up the day after they fucking leave Hogwarts, okay? Because I'm done. I'm just, I'm I'm totally done with that. <laughs> really. I'm done. So, um, anyway, and I potted that. And it'll be really interesting um, what I have done um, uh, because... Um, um, they're going to have to go, so it'll be really interesting. I'm not going to tell you about it because, um, you'll just have to wait. Uh, let's see. Um, hmm. Oh, oh, I, you know, 
sometimes um, when you have as much um, writing as I have, um, I've been writing for um, two decades, and um, I couldn't even tell you what my lifetime work count is. I mean, I think we tried to add it up once, and it got ridiculous, and I stopped. Um, but I have a lot of, of personal writing. Um, um, I have about, I don't know, 2 million words of unpublished original fiction. Somewhere in that range. Um, what I was going to say is, is that I recently, <laughs> I was working on, um, the North Star, and I uh, went back and I reread Ties That Bind. And you ever read something like, no, you ever write something, and when you're in it, when you're writing it, it, it doesn't seem it seems perfectly ordinary to you, like perfectly normal. Like I haven't read Ties That Bind in about a year, maybe two, a year and a half. I don't know. It had been quite a while, maybe six months. Fuck if I know. <laughs> I've slept since then. Anyway, it had been long enough since I had read Ties That Bind that I I, I kind of forgot how hardcore it was. Or, or I didn't think it was hardcore to begin with. And I was over here reading it. My cheeks were, my cheeks are actually hot right now. Um, I was reading, um, reading it and I was like, oh my God, this is so filthy. Oh my God, this is so filthy. I can't believe I wrote this. And it could be because I had, um, uh, just come off of writing, um, uh, courting Hermione Granger, which has no sex in it. And I had written all those little shorts and only one of them has sex in it. And, um, I had been writing on Phoenix, which has no sex in it. And uh, so it was just like, it was completely, I mean, it was so filthy. I mean, my my face is hot right now because just remembering it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm such a, that's so dirty. (laughs) But when I was writing Ties That Bind, it seemed perfectly normal. None of that shit fazed me. None of it. And when I got to that exhibition scene in Lovely Agony, I I was like, holy shit. (laughs) I I had not forgotten what I wrote, okay? That's not the point. The point is, is I was having an emotional reaction to the content that I was just like, oh, God, I can't believe I wrote this. No wonder people think I'm a freak. Anyways, anyways, I was, um, I, uh, had to meet my mama today. She, um, she bought a Kindle in June, a Kindle fire, uh, cause I got a fire in May. Um, and we were out one day and, um, she saw my fire in my purse and she started playing with it. Well, she went home immediately, logged on to Amazon and bought herself one. <laughs> Since I wouldn't let her take mine. Um, well, today... Um, for some reason, it stopped charging. My mama called me. She says, my Kindle's not charging. I was like, oh. I said, did you try a new cord? She said, I've tried all my cords. I've tried six cords. I said, are you plugging them on the same little plug thing? Or have you tried to plug? I tried five plugs. 
I said, okay, Mama, let me get on this thing with Amazon because it's my account because me and my mom share an Amazon account because she can't be trusted or I can't be trusted. One of us can't be trusted. Um, and so I get on Amazon customer service and I hit the little chat button. And um, <clears throat> I got a news for you, lady holder. I did take her mind. Ha <laughs> Anyways, um, she uh, – I got on the thing, and because it had been less than a year, it was still under warranty. They're going to send her a free one. Um, we sent her old one back. I, I did that today. Um, I took her mine, so um, because she was flipping her shit. Uh, because my mama spends apparently a large portion of her afternoon on the Kindle because she goes to pick up my sister's kids, you know, and take them around to all their activities, you know, football, Girl Scouts, band, choir. I just, but they're in a lot of shit. My sister has five kids. Six kids. So, <laughs> oh my God. I'm glad she doesn't listen to this show. She'd be really pissed at me right now. She has six kids. Um, his and hers. Um, not, she did not vaginally birth six children. Um, just some of them were birthed by some other woman. Anyways, she's got six kids. And so my mama spends her afternoons carting these kids around to all their various activities, and she ends up waiting a lot. Well, she spends that time waiting on the Kindle. So I was informed that not only did I have to come get her Kindle to take it back to Amazon, but I had to bring her mine. So I took her my Kindle because she's my mama, um, and seriously, uh, and she um, she <laughs> I handed it to her and I said, um, I put um, all of the uh, gay porn in a um, in one. On, on Kindle, you can make like little libraries, like little reading lists. I said I put all my gay porn in that one list, and I um, updated it to make sure it had all your lists because we we share the Kindle um, account. And um, uh, she reads a lot of stuff I don't read, and you all know I read a lot of stuff she ain't ever gonna read. Uh, so I made sure all her historicals were in one little thing, so she'd be able to find them. <sighs> I get home, and you know what you may or may not know about um, an Amazon Kindle um, is that when you purchase uh, for even free games and stuff, when you purchase even free stuff in the Amazon store, it shows up in your account history on Amazon. Now, since my mother got my Kindle six hours ago, she has put 20... She's only going to have it for five days, people. She's going to have it five fucking days. She's put 22 apps on it. <sighs> then she called me and she says, I'm running out of room on your Kindle. I was like, what? And she's like, well, it tells me if I clean off your card, I can put more stuff on it. I was like, Mama, you're going to have this damn device five days. Do you really need to clean off my... Fine, Mama. So she dumped all my stuff off my um, SD card to 
more shit. Five days. Five days. 22 apps. I haven't even looked recently. I don't even know. And she said, well, they don't have internet when I'm waiting in line at the school. She says, well, if I need to do something and I can't, I can't look at it because I can't download it. I'm like, well, okay. I don't even know. Five days. I'm going to get that damn thing back. I'll probably have to re-fucking set it. I'll have to reset it just to clean it off. And because I have hacked my sort of fire, it also has Google Play Store. So when she sees that my Kindle has Google Play Store and hers doesn't, she's going to flip her shit because I never did it to hers. I forgot. Do you ever forget? I did. I'm going to pay for that shit. I'm waiting for the lecture, because as soon as she sees it, she's going to, I forgot, okay? I forgot to put the Google Play Store on my mama's Kindle. And she didn't ask about it again, and I forgot. By the way, I'm doing a show tonight, because I can't do a show tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow night, um... I'm doing a sleep study. So my doctor can tell me what I already know. I have insomnia. Yay. (laughs) Come on now. Anyways, I'm doing a sleep study tomorrow, so I'll be sleeping in a strange place. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Um, you know, I, I have a little bit of, um, you might have noticed that um, I have a little bit of OCD, um, and I don't know how I'm going to, I have a hard time sleeping in hotel rooms too, so I don't know how this is going to work out. I'll look forward to it. I hope the bed's at least semi-comfortable. I mean, you would think so, but it's a clinic, it's a, a sleep clinic. Julie just said she slept 45 minutes during her sleep study. Brilliant job. Oh, great. Why would you have a shitty bed in a sleep clinic? If you want your patients to actually sleep so you can monitor them while they sleep. I'm being um, tested for sleep apnea tomorrow as well. I don't think I have it. Um, but uh, we'll see. Maybe I have some rare sleep thing going on. I doubt it. Well, apparently the monitoring is very unobtrusive. They're not in the room with you. Oh, God, they're filming me? I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) You guys shouldn't have told me they're going to film it. (laughs) They watch me on a camera. I am, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not on board with this already. I did buy new pajamas, though. Because, oh, to be perfectly honest, I don't normally sleep in anything. And I noticed that I really didn't have any pajama sets that matched anymore. And I couldn't, like, go to a place and not have matching pajamas. <laughs> it just seemed not, not, not a good idea. So I bought some pajamas at Walmart the other day when I was there so that I would have matching pajamas. Because I'm currently wearing a pajama set, which I wear around the house because I don't actually sleep in anything. 
They're going to ruin my new pajamas? Okay, Jilly, we're going to have to talk. Hold on a minute. Because you keep saying shit in the chat room that I don't appreciate. What do you mean they're going to ruin my pajamas? Well, when they did mine, they um they put all these leads on your head, right? And um mm-hmm. they they have to put them in they tape them in several spots to my very nice silk nightgown, so they taped them so they would not like come get pulled out of my head. And I mm-hmm. couldn't get the adhesive residue off of the of the tape that they use. I couldn't get it out of my pajamas. So, just trying to get the adhesive residue off ruined it. But big holes in my my very expensive silk nightgown. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they actually told me to make sure to wear a top and a bottom. No, they didn't tell me top and bottom. They told me I could just bring whatever I wanted. But, you know, it didn't, it wasn't that max. I just sat there staring at the camera. <laughs> I was a little bit of a troll. For, I for was like, future. I just stared at the camera. For, wow. For future information. Um, you can remove adhesive from cloth with vegetable oil. Don't you get an oil stain? You probably would on silk, but not cotton. Hmm. Cause I've done it with cotton. I mean, granted, you gotta suck that shit in whisk afterwards, but. <laughs> <laughs> You had a frustrating rotter experience today. Do you want to share it? <laughs> you can say no. Yeah, I will. Trying to brainstorm with somebody. Yeah. Um. So I was trying to brainstorm an idea, um, with with my mom, <laughs> which is just was a, was a weird idea from the outset. And out of the blue, she starts giving me the rundown of stories she's read that conceptually are in that vein. After three or four of them, I was like, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm telling you all the ideas I run across that are kind of in the way. I said, well, how does that help me? Because she said, well, it might spark your creativity. I said, no. No, it really won't. <laughs> That's not how that works. I said, as a matter of fact, if I would have organically come, because people can organically come to similar ideas separately, not the same, but similar. I said, if I would have come to one of those ideas on my own, now I can't. I have to, like, shut off those avenues of creativity because now I know that they exist and you have told me about them. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Sometimes you encounter um, somebody that you you can't, that your work styles are so different um, as a writer that you just don't mesh. Yeah, and so and then I tell her the, the the idea that I have, and I said, "Well, this is the idea I have, and this is it. This is where I see the problems are." And she just looks at me and she goes, "Yeah, those are problems." And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "You're not helping." <laughs> now, my mom is actually really good at this. Um, she's an avid reader, uh, not a writer. Um, and one thing I noticed in her is that she does the same thing to me that I did to Julie that night on the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you do that, 
the end result is this. Da da da. Oh God, I didn't even think about that. So I guess I, I guess I get that from my mom. That ability to see ramifications really far in the future of an idea. Um. Uh. So um. Hers was. I mean, it was like it was. Yeah, Lady Holly does it to me too, but not quite the same way as my mom. My mom was like a razor. I mean, she just razored in on um, an issue, and I was like, I did not even think about that. If my mom had read the first Lantan Legacy book, she would have totally told me about the male preg that everybody missed. I'm just saying. My mom would have noticed that shit. <laughs> I wrote it and didn't notice. I I was like, what? <laughs> For those of you who have read No Enemy Within, um, Theseus is the city, and Theseus is male. And they reproduce, his species reproduces asexually, basically. Um, and Atlantis um, is the AI that was blended with Theseus, Um to allow for better communication on the population. And when I discussed the offspring of... In my brain, it was more like it was Atlantis's baby. And so it was like Atlantis was pregnant. When she's the fucking AI, of course it's not her, it's Theseus. <laughs> and not one person on my beta team brought this up to me. In fact, it was months after No Enemy Within was published that it was realized, and I'm not sure who actually realized it, but it was pointed out to me that I had actually written Male Preg. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but my mom would have totally noticed that shit. That, that's what I mean. Um, and it's, she... Sometimes the smallest points an idea, ideas, I mean, points that I would glaze over, and that basically almost any writer would, um, she can laser in on them and point out a problem, and you'd be like, oh, shit. And then you're stuck with it because you can't get it out of your fucking head. It's just there. Yeah, sometimes you're like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> I didn't, I really, if, if I had, no. Well, I did actually mean for them to make a baby, but I really did not intend to un unintentionally write alien male preg. I mean, that wasn't my... I didn't identify it that way. But my mom would have totally got, you know, narrowed in on that at the very beginning. Um, but what's really funny is at the time that I wrote um, Knowing Me Within, I was actually pretty opposed to male preg. I mean, I didn't like to read it, and I didn't, I mean, I just, I wasn't on board with that shit. <laughs> I mean, and then I I read um, Surrogate by Seeker Geek. And it changed my mind about Mel Preg. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you win that round. 
that's fucking awesome. If you've not read Surrogate by Secret Geek, I'm pretty sure it's by Secret Geek. You need to go read it that is. shit because it is amazing. <clears throat> well, I got I, I shared this, but I got uh, feedback recently where someone was reading Emergence and they um, they challenged me um, on the fact that I didn't go the male pregnancy route with that story. Um, and it wasn't like a, you know, you could, it wasn't like a subtle little, you could have gone this route with this story, you know, that it, and I, cause I've always known it had a good setup for it since the, um, um, original dragons were neither male nor female and were the ones that bore the children. So I knew that that was, um, sort of implicit that it could go that direction, but I decided not to go that direction. And I have written Mpreg before. So, um, but it was just, I'm trying to figure out how, remember they said that I uh, that I was afraid of it or something like that? Um, you put it in a messenger to me. I did. Oh, yeah. It sucks that this story and all that it is has one flaw, and they said that in all caps. There is no Mpreg. Sad that you're you're that afraid to go into Mpreg since you're bringing females in for the birthing. Lame. (laughs) Except she's not afraid to write male preg because she has fucking written male preg. I have. I don't know what you'd call what I wrote this month. (laughs) It's not really male I, if it's a completely different gender, but. I'm sure they think you're lame for that one, too. Probably. Oh, you couldn't <laughs> just let them be men and be pregnant. You had to make them into a different gender and make them be pregnant. Yes, I, yes, know, I did, I, so kiss my ass. I really just wasn't interested in it. Um, and then, like I said, I was going through the Big Bang Um the, the, the SGA Big Bang, and I, I ran across Surrogate, and um, I was like, okay. <laughs> and I clicked on it, and I was I went into that fic determined not to like it. I was ready to, as I pointed out to someone earlier in the month when I did, when I did it again, um, I was ready to manufacture an excuse not to read the story. But Seeker Geek did not give me a single opportunity to do so. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to change your mind. <laughs> now, as a rule, the thing is, is the reason I like um, surrogate so much, um, one of the things I have a real problem with, and a lot of times, and um, especially in verses where normally men can't get pregnant when um the man does get pregnant it's um kind of against his will like he didn't seek it out it wasn't something that he did on purpose mm-hmm. um and then there is rarely ever any discussion of him not continuing the pregnancy In surrogate, John seeks it out, and the exact opposite of that, uh, the exact opposite happens, wherein they assume 
he won't continue the pregnancy. And it was just really interesting, that flip that that happened in that story, and that John sought it out, that John knew what was going to happen and did it anyway. He he agreed to it. Um, and then uh, didn't let anybody tell him that he couldn't. And so it was just it was a very um it was a very interesting story and I really I really really enjoyed it. And like I said, she never gave me an opportunity to um to to back out. <laughs> every time I thought, okay, I'm done. Oh, well, damn it, she didn't do what I thought she was gonna do. Damn it, now I have to read some more. <laughs> the um it's a I you know my my biggest objection for years to to male pregnancy was the pregnancy. <laughs> it's like. I could have been, and it's just a personal preference. Is I don't, I don't, I don't like reading about pregnancy. I don't like reading about emotions and vomiting and crying and swollen ankles no. and sore backs. I can't stand it. Actually, um, I wouldn't want to. And it wouldn't matter if what gender the pregnant person was. I wouldn't want to read about that. It's just, it's just a, a thing of mine. I don't enjoy reading about pregnancies. Um, I don't mind if someone is pregnant. I just don't want the nitty gritty of it, you know. So, um, and I and seems- especially do not want a birth scene. No, and so it seemed like um, all the male preg I first stumbled across, and and still most of it that I find, um, I back out of really quickly because it's very focused on the um, horrors of, of pregnancy, and um, I get that that's that's satisfying. It's not a need for some people. It's just not a particular need that I have. To, that's why like I explore. the same way I don't read. Um explicit torture fix. <laughs> yeah, that's something that's really I'm not comparing pregnancy or male preg to explicit torture. I'm just saying I don't enjoy reading either one of them on a normal basis. Right, especially the details of it just like <laughs> which is which is why, you know, um you know, in with in with subversive this month, I felt a little bit like a fan, like a troll when I made Rodney pregnant. <laughs> Reverse rattle out of the gate. <laughs> I have to admit, I laughed a lot over that decision. Um, but you notice how there was no detail about it, and there was no birth. It was like straight tree to, trunk. Okay, the birth. Tree trunk. That was all we got. <laughs> tree trunk. That's this right, leaf better like me. Tree trunk. Yeah. <laughs> my leaf better like me. That was the funniest shit I've ever read. I laughed my ass off. Tree trunk. <laughs> Yeah, I had a lot of fun with Rodney being pregnant, but it was not about the pregnancy at all. It was about his, the reason I had fun with it was because of his reaction to being a parent, or actually their reaction to being a parent. I I can't do those pronouns off of the page. (laughs) I had the worst time with that. I had to make a postie. I still have it somewhere. (laughs) I had a terrible time with it, too. And the thing is, once I got into it in the writing, I could do it. But I kept thinking I needed to pick different ones. You know, I don't know why. I was like, I kept experimenting with different pronouns that I thought might Mm -hmm. flow better. Because the X's really threw me off. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, nothing. The problem is is nothing's going to feel natural because it's not that we don't have a third pronoun. So it was, um, yeah. It was it was it was weird. That's another one like you had um, that I wish I'd gone with a different idea for mm-hmm. November. Even though I really I, it's not that I it would tell a different story. It's just I had so many stumbles 
with um, I it was it kind of startled me that I had had so many stumbles with the gender issues because um, I thought I was going to just you know rock that you know just hey it's it's a different gender we're just going to go with it and I thought I was going to and I'm really stuck on the part that I'm currently on because. Um, you know, Steve finally gets into Tony's pants, and I'm just not sure how much I want to get into Tony's anatomy. <laughs> I mean, I have pages of notes about I how everything on there works. <laughs> Actually, I have an idea about that um, because uh, I have a um, a AU um, that I'm uh, because I'm on a Harry Potter break. Um, I'm going to do um, falling slowly for my um, mulligan. And that's my SGA fic where um, it's Alpha Omega. And um, they're actually uh, basically um, aliens on Earth. And they they didn't know it. Um, And um, because Ra brought the Farons, the species, to Earth. And they mixed with humans to survive. um, And it created a... a, uh, segment population who are shifters, uh, cats and, uh, not, yeah, no, yeah, cats and wolves, um, the dogs went with Raw when, 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 when he left, um, but anyways, uh, <clears throat> Rodney is Omega, and I've been thinking about, because um, I actually cut it off right at the sex scene, which is probably why, where I, I stumbled with the sex scene. And because of my, my, print, my issues with oh, the, um, the Omega and the consent. But I've been reworking that and re- rewriting the idea to, to take out the mindlessness stuff. That I don't know why I put that in there to begin with. I, don't, I just don't know why I went there. Even though I put in all these safeguards and these, you know, these ways of making sure consent was consent. You know, I don't know why I still need to put, but I guess because I thought it was required. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I never let anybody's canon fuck with me. So I don't know why I thought I had to do that, but I did. So I'm taking it out. Um, and it'll be ready to go up on in April when I'm, when, 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 when the mulligan starts. Uh, but um, I've been thinking about uh, Rodney's anatomy and um, it, Because there, there's two ways to go about it. You can give your Omega um, a vaginal slit that is kind of um, underneath the cock. Mm-hmm. It is a good thing this show is right at R. Okay, or you could... Um, Give him a um, that uh, there's a now. I've also read an Omega fic where they fix it so when um, the Omega is aroused, the um, the rectal um, cavity basically has two functions. Where um, when the Omega is aroused, it kind of um, there's an internal sphincter that cuts off the colon and when that's cut off the vaginal canal opens I see I had gone the the vaginal split route in my original notes 
and I had I have that um, in my original notes too, <laughs> the vaginal split because. But I had given it a different name, and I had come up with a different name because it? it doesn't really it doesn't really function like a vagina. The problem is, remember mm-hmm. that piece of paper that I lost? Oh no! Or that I didn't lose. Yeah. So all all what that what was on that piece of paper were all of these. It was a bunch of like name play. And I had like come up with like the final names for two of two of the um, werewolf nations. I never could remember what name I came up with. And then there were a couple pieces of anatomy that I could never could recover mentally what I had come up with on that piece of paper. So I have to rename my vagina, <laughs> not my personal. Vagina. <laughs> well, I think I'll probably stick with vaginal slit. Um, it's just it's um, but then I, there's there's other questions um, whether or not you want to make your omega uh, fertile as a male or not. Well, whereas then not... if you can impregnate a female, um, because if you don't do that, I mean, if his testicles aren't required to produce sperm, you could actually kind of slide the testicles back into the body, so to speak. Because if they're inside the body, they're they're not going to produce sperm because uh, your te- the testicles would would get too warm, they would get too hot, which is why the testicles are outside the body to begin with because of sperm production. But if your omega is not capable of impregnating a female, you can um, put the testicles inside. Do not remove them because they need them for fucking erections. <laughs> Yeah, because no, they, 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 I have seen Omega Fit where they don't have balls. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I have. They're both capable of siring and um, and bearing children. Um, but in terms of the bearing children, um, they decide when. I've given. I just decided it, this was part of my. I think I kind of had this reaction to the consent issues in, mm-hmm. um, in, um, um. Uh, ABO fix that I just went completely the you know I gave them complete control of their body they have to decide and the way I kind of had written the vaginal split as working is it doesn't even really open unless they will it to they have to decide that it's going to open up to allow penetration um, and um, so there's all of this control like they have to decide okay now I'm going to have a heat I'm going to you know they have to make mental conscious choices to allow those things to happen to their bodies because they control their bodies in ways humans don't because they fundamentally aren't humans. Um, so that reminds me of a Star Trek fic once where Spock and Kirk were were getting hot and heavy and Spock I mean, wasn't hard and Jim was like, um, are, "Are are are you just not into this? Because we we don't have to do this if you're not into it." And um, Spock was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm totally into it." Why, why do you think I'm not? And he's like, because you're not hard. There's there's no erection here. And come to find out, um, Spock's penis was like um, it had a bone that he had to consciously slide down into the penis to make it erect. Which means which means that he could stay erect as long as he wanted. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Jim was <Ooh>. thrilled. <laughs> he was like, oh hell yeah. I'm down for that. <laughs> I think it was a great fic. That's the part I remember. So if I ever went to Star Trek Fic Finders to find a fic, to, um, to find this particular fic, that is the only scene I remember. And that's what I would have to use to find this fic. 
<laughs> well, you probably remember other scenes, but you don't remember them in connection with that story. Right, right. It's a good story, though. It's very good. It, it was on this Kirk Spock archive. Um, yeah, what did you remember when you were talking about that? One time I went looking for a fic that um, I re- – it wasn't a fic. I thought I was looking for three different stories. And so I put on the fic finder. I said, well, I was looking for this, this story that has this scene and this story. That, and they're all from the same story. But I couldn't in my head for some reason connect that all three of those scenes were part of the same story. Um, but, yeah, it, so I just decided that I was going to give them um, a huge amount of control over what goes on in their body. Um, and including that there's no accidental pregnancies, that they get pregnant when they want to get pregnant, um, which kind of eventually kind of threw me into a plot hole. It was like, well, why did the pregnancy stop then? <laughs> right. Right. And then I went, Oops. um, <laughs> so I had to deal with that. But, uh, well, the desire to get pregnant, um, doesn't equate the ability to get pregnant. Right. And that's what got, that's what, that's what was missing was the desire to get pregnant and since they didn't want to um they um well they didn't feel safe yeah because it isn't safe so i had um i think part of the problem i'm also having is that i'm writing um i started writing sometimes a lot of times when i stumble one of the first questions i have to ask myself when i stumble in my writing is am i in the wrong point of view and for me that happens about about the about, I would say about 60% of the time, it's I'm in the wrong point of view. I just, for the scene, it's not flowing right because I'm not looking at it from the right perspective. And I think I mis- I stumbled um, going into that scene in Steve's point of view. And the reason I think it was a mistake is because um, Steve's never had sex with an Omega before. Um, so there's an element of all-new anatomy going on down there, right? So it's a little bit like a science fair <laughs> kind of way. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. As opposed to Tony's <laughs> used to his body, right? So for him, it's just like, um, you know, it, it would be very natural. Everything that's going on would just come out naturally as opposed to, oh, my God, look at how that works. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's just been this this chat, but it's also uh, this month has been is very hard to write around. Um, he shall not be named stealing the wizarding world. Um, and I know, right? Volume that, just, one, it's not good. No, it just threw a real cramp in my creativity for a while. My, more my productivity, than my creativity. Um, since we're making, since we're talking about the distinction between the two. And then, At least yeah. you weren't writing an end of the world fic. No, that would have been. Oh, no. But you know what I am writing? I, did. I am writing a. I am writing a fic where this third gender's um, rights have been challenged and um, almost destroyed in most of the nations that their rights have been subjugated. Oh God! And I oh, was God. like, Hmm. <laughs> I'm scared so about the was, Cheetos. I'm really upset about the Cheetos. I mean, it's you don't understand. I love baked Cheetos. Other baked the Cheetos, they're awesome. Ones. Go with the white cheddar ones, the all natural, the 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 Fritos, the Cheetos natural line. They have a white cheddar one. Is it good? It, it, I love. I like them better than regular Cheetos. I love those. I got you, you. I have to like put them in a bowl 
and eat them with chopsticks so that I don't eat the whole bag all at once. I thought that was to keep your hands clean. It is that, too, but it also slows you. You ever eat popcorn with chopsticks? You will eat way less. <laughs> way what less. would be the point of having popcorn if I didn't get to eat all I wanted? I'm just saying. <laughs> but my hands are clean, too, so it's like I've got clean hands and my snack was smaller. Um but, yeah, so between the, the whole vibe of – because I immediately had to take a pause because I was like – also, and I mentioned this, is that my um, – my, I don't even know if I want to admit this. My antagonist in the story, who's kind of invisible right now, was sort of loosely modeled on, on the Cheeto. And you know what? I have a character that was kind of loosely modeled on the Cheeto, and I didn't even know it. Of course, at the time, I didn't know the Cheeto was really capable of what the Cheeto has done, but – Read ties that bind again. Oh yeah, yeah. You will never look at Kevin Jordan the same way. No, you, you almost need to go back and reconsult her cast page to get that image out of your mind. But you know, it's just I. It's that really threw me. So I actually had to go back and reach and change um, the character motivation for why he was doing what he was doing, so it was a little less Trumpian. <laughs> I was like, oh. But and then and then we got to the holidays and family, you know. And of course, it's lovely to see your family, but man, is it hard to write? Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, maybe not. Not to be over. Well, I mean that kind of in a generic term. I enjoyed but, some of my family. <laughs> I yeah, I've enjoyed seeing my I've enjoyed seeing my family, but it's like we are all up in each other's face. You know, and I usually write in the living room, and because um, my parents are staying in my bedroom, so um, I, I'm bunking with my my sister for um, the time that they're here. And so, but normally I write in, in the living room. And the first day they were here, I sit down to write, and I started like, "What are you doing? What's that? Who's that? What are you looking at?" And I'm like, "Oh my, oh my god. god! Oh my god!" <laughs> Pretend like there's a wall. There's a wall, you know, like nobody can see what I'm doing. And the thing is, you know, I know that my family has, like, big judgment around fan fiction, so I don't want recognizable names on the screen catching their eye. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just all of a sudden I just felt like I was like a bug under a magnifying glass, and I was like, okay, I have got to find something else to do. And it's just, it has, it has not, it has not gelled. It has not gelled. And so I had, yeah, I was working on, that's why I went, ultimately went to my mom is because I um, I thought, well, I need to work on something creative. And i working on this idea for original fiction, and that's the idea I kind of was running by her. And um, because she's been really, you know, pushing me to write and publish original fiction. And, um, man, <laughs> we just don't have similar creative styles at all. <laughs> It's really weird when you encounter a writer whose um, mental process is so different from your own that you can't brainstorm with them. Yeah, I don't know what to do You can't do anything with them. And you're like, well, I don't even, what? Can I see your work? <laughs> Are you sure you're a writer? <laughs> it's because it's so weird. And you know they're thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> mhm. 
Well, I also realized that I I don't just I don't think I describe my work very well. Um and I I thought that I think it I do was just okay. a fun Huh? I I think I do okay. Yeah, you do you do really well. But I don't think I sometimes I don't think I describe my ideas very well to people because a lot of times, um and I just kinda had this, you know, I kinda wrote it off for a while. Like I would, you know, like describe a story idea to people and they would kinda go, Huh. And I'd be like, What does that mean? What does huh mean? Or well they would just kind of do this long pause and like, Well, that sounds interesting. I'm like, Oh my god, weasel words, what am I supposed to do with that? Um and I realized, and so I thought, so I kind of had written it off for a while as I don't, my ideas are kind of weird on paper, and some of them really are. So like, what are you thinking? And sometimes I don't even know. It's like, how did you come up with that? And then I get to writing it, and it all kind of comes together, and it makes sense. And so I thought just some of my ideas are a little conceptually out there, and so people don't really get it at first blush. But then today I'm sitting there trying to describe a fairly straightforward idea, and it was not coming across. And this is to another writer. And I was like, maybe I just don't describe my work very well. Oh, you did very well with that Star Trek thing we did that night. Well, that's plotting. That's not describing. I don't know. Something oh. different about well, plotting yeah. than the, just the description of a a story. Um, and, but you know, it's like when I um, when I brainstorm with. Um, Sometimes Cindy and I'll just brainstorm ideas, and she always gets it right. But you know, creatively, we think very similarly. So um, I feel like sometimes like I need to only drop like thirty percent of the actual explanation, and she understands where I'm going. <laughs> and I guess mm-hmm. it kind of spoiled me because I was like, I don't have to explain anything. People will just get it, and then they like don't, and I'm like, I don't. Okay, nobody got it. One thing I noticed about myself is that I tend to focus more on um, the internal plot when I'm discussing an idea versus uh-huh. the external. Um, I'm always about internal motivations versus external motivations. Um, I always tend to um, gravitate towards internal um, events and motivations when I'm talking about different ideas. Speaking of, on Sunday, um, I'm going to do a radio show on, um, maybe Saturday, I don't know, um, on external and internal motivations because Chestnut Nola wrote a question on my Ask Anything page about it. But I didn't want to do that tonight because I wanted to um, think about it some more. And also, uh, it was so spur of the moment that I didn't want them to, I want them to have the opportunity to actually be in the chat room when I'm discussing it, if they can be, and this was too short notice, um, but I'll do my radio show for that um, when, I, when I get off the air here, and I'll decide whether I'm going to do it on Saturday or Sunday. <clears throat> Anyways, <clears throat> FYI. <laughs> I just sounds but fascinating. I do tend to go I mean, towards the more internal. I, I think when I'm describing my story ideas, I focus more on external motivations and external plot. But I do think I write more from the internal motivation perspective. Um, so the writing, I'll just thought sometimes doesn't match the way I describe things. But well, um, you, we discussed this briefly before, and um, I kind of messed up what I said about myself. But you are um, a third-person subjective writer, and I'm a third-person objective writer. Mm-hmm. We're in, in that you get deep down in your POV. Where I tend to write on top of my POV. 
I got my hands in the air for those of you who didn't assume that already. <laughs> I could see it, like almost above the level of your monitor. You're absolutely right. <laughs> You're on my keyboard, I'll turn on the monitors. But um, in that you get really deep in your POV character um, in, in their perspective um, as they move through a scene, and I don't. I um, I keep the perspective pretty high. Uh, and when I do internal motivations, it's more um, personal thought process and um, reaction to environment. But when it comes to, like, conversation, I am definitely a third-person objective writer. Um, so, because we were discussing POV, and um, there's a scene where... Something that um, Julie was beta in for me. She'd questioned whether or not uh, Harry would refer. Was a Harry, one of my characters was in a scene with his father, and I dialogue tagged the father's speech with his name. And in the beta, she asked me if that's how John or John or Harry, I can't remember which one. I can't remember John. what the actual work was. Is John, John, is that how he would think of his father? That he, what, he, what he think of? And that's a subjective um, POV where they're in so deep. Now, Jilly did it in a scene where she, Patrick and John are in a scene, and uh, it was tagged with dad, and it, it threw me completely out. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> because that's subjective. And it was because um, the POV for John is so deep that he's not, uh, he's referring to the characters in the scene by his relationship with them. Whereas yeah. I'm an objective writer and I um, almost always refer to characters by their name, no matter the POV. So John, even if I'm in John's POV in a scene, um, it's going to be Patrick said. Yeah. Instead of dad that, said. When see, it comes to dad, Patrick, I, I'm kind of on the fence because I could see John kind of referring to him either way. Because, like, I refer to my own mother sometimes by her first name. And if I were writing, like, our interaction, writing it down, I would write her, uh, even from a subjective POV, I would probably write her with her first name. But one of the things that trips me up is sometimes, because I'm very sensitive to POV. Um mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if sometimes I don't know if um, I'm more sensitive than some readers are to the point of view, and maybe it's because I write so such a deep third person. And it's also one of the reasons why I typically don't have problems with head hopping is because I'm so deep in one character's point of view. It it, it f- would feel weird to shift to another character's point of view. Um, I would really notice it, but as a result, when I'm reading, um, I really am sensitive to what. I perceive as POV switches or something that is unnatural to the POV. And so, like, if I'm in Tony's POV, unless there's a precedent in the story for him calling himself by his last name, himself, it's a re- I would consider how a character is thought of as a reflection of the point of view. So, like, when I write Gibbs thinking about Tony and he's trying to be distant from him emotionally, he thinks of him as Denozo. And he refers to him as Denozo. But Tony never thinks of himself as Denozo. And what I see writers do sometimes is they'll, to avoid repetition of name. Right, I do it. They'll 
Yeah, they'll suddenly change how Tony refers to himself as being suddenly referring to himself as Donozo. And if there's no precedent for it after – I was working on a fic where it was like, I don't know, it was like fifty or 60,000 words. I was baiting for somebody, and they had had a lot of name tags, and out of the blue um, – Rodney was referring to himself as McKay, just in one one time. And I said, "Why this is to me? It was jarring because it, to me it was like, why would Rodney suddenly, if he always thinks of himself as Rodney and he always refers to himself as Rodney in his point of view, why would he suddenly refer to himself as McKay?" And I asked her. I just made a note about it. She responded. And she said that she was avoiding name repetition. And I went, "Well." I guess you have to decide in that case which is more jarring to you, name repetition or what seems to me like breaking point of view. And um, Now, see, yeah. one of the things that I was taught early on um, by um, more than one editor is to view dialogue tags as accessories, that they're not actually a part of the narrative, that they are there strictly for the reader. That... It isn't so much Rodney thinking of himself as McKay. It's that the writer is identifying the speaker as McKay for the reader. So your dialogue tags are accessories. Well, I mean, to some degree, I can I can understand that. Although it depends upon how how deep the third per, the point point of view is, because I've actually done some right. reading and, about and deep third deep. person. And when you when you mm-hmm. do deep third person, you never um, the dialogue tags are as much a point. Um, because there are actually things you leave off in deep third person that you would put in, um, like the um, the phrase he thought. So right, like, um, you wouldn't need it. You would never use that's it. All in he's thinking. <laughs> everything is his thought. Um, Claire has right? a question in the chat. Well, not really a, a question, but I'm going to um, talk about it. Um, she she says I tend to write in one POV, but I have no idea if it's ob- objective or subjective. Um, I'm a mixture. Of objective and subjective, uh, because I do tend to ride the top of my narrative, and um, like I said, I tend to keep um, internal motivations and stuff um, out of dialogue. Um, so my dialogue takes a a sub an objective turn. Now basically, a third person objective is a neutral point of view. Right. Um, your no narrator, huh? It's what? almost no point of view. It's like your narrator has right. no a, knowledge of what goes on. It's a super neutral, says. central point point of view. They make no assumptions about um, uh, motivations. Um, there is no internal thought process. Uh, what you see is what you get. There is no internal monologue for your POV character, which is not something that I approve of necessarily as a writer. Which is why I'm a mixture of the two. Now, subjective is a deeply emotional perspective. And that's the position that that Jilly writes from. She's a third-person subjective writer, um, whereas I'm a mixture. And my dialogue does tend to go objective. And I tend to ride the top of my narrative in a more neutral situation when I'm dialogue-heavy. Especially when I have a whole bunch of characters in a scene, and um, keeping track of them is really difficult. So I want to make sure the reader knows who's talking um, and all those things. But Julie is a very deep, subjective writer. Um, it isn't a bad thing. It's just a different perspective. It's just a different method. Um, um, we just write differently. So that's just what it boils down to. And um, But um, 
you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Did that yeah. make sense? But okay. yeah. So with a but with a with a dialogue tag, it's like we we talked about dialogue tags one night. It's one of those areas where I can kind of like go either way. But like if you're writing deeply in Rodney's point of view, and all of a sudden he says McKay got up and walked across the room and grabbed his tablet, and that's the only time he ever thinks of himself as McKay. It just it's because I'm sensitive to POV. To me, it feels like we switched POV. And so I will note that and go, did you just switch POV here? Because some, that, that can be a way to switch POV. And if I were changing POV, actually that's probably one of the ways I would have done it, I was saying switching to John's POV, is you can use subtle, and if you're, if you're consistent about how a character refers to themselves, if you suddenly go, McKay got up and walked across the room in the very next paragraph, I would immediately think we're switched to John's point of view. You can do little subtle things, but the problem is that requires a lot of consistency, and I think a lot of people aren't. Um, a lot of the writers I've worked with, not even recently, but even further back, were not very consistent about that kind of thing. But it's one of those things that I tend to um, bug people about in beta, and I think sometimes people I beta for are like, why are you bugging me about this? Because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm the consistency police, I can't help it. <laughs> It's one of those things you gotta put up with, or with when you let Julie, um, Julie beta for you. It's just oh, thanks, sweet. <laughs> You're so crazy, yes, Julie. Because <laughs> I'd be like, this isn't consistent. I don't care which way you do it, but just do it consistently. <laughs> <laughs> she's also the capitalization police, but she's also made me question myself. Like, why the fuck am I capitalizing that? <laughs> <laughs> I just like randomly capitalize shit. Um, and that's one of those times where I will go, you know, if you want to capitalize it, that's fine, but you have to do it this way all the time. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to. I can't make anybody do it, but it's just one of those things. It's like if you're going to introduce a new capitalization rule. And Harry Potter drives me nuts. It drives me fucking oh. batshit sometimes because I will be sitting there looking at it, and it's like centaur lowercase, wizard lowercase, goblin lowercase, muggle uppercase. And I know it's canon. I know it's right. From a canon perspective, that that's the way J.K. Rowling wrote it. But I hate it. I hate it so bad. <laughs> it, like, it, is you, it is weird. It is weird. And for so some reason, I keep capitalizing Atrium, and I don't know why. Why the fuck do I keep capitalizing Atrium? I. It's just. It. Oh my God! I have a confession. I was reading my old work, which I do sometimes. Um. And I came across, and I was so embarrassed. I'm absolutely mortified. I, there's one in um, what might have been, but it's told from Rodney's point of view, and John's on the phone. So it makes sense that you would only hear John's side of the conversation, right? Um, yeah. Because you're in Rodney's point of view. I I found a one-sided conversation in one of my stories, and my character's the only one in the room. No! <gasps> yes, I was like, oh my god, what'd you do? Oh my god, were you asleep? What? I had to oh, close no. it. I was so offended. I had to close the story. <sighs> I don't know if you had if you had like published the story with that. I, I... Oh, it's on my site. No. Oh yes. You wrote a one-sided conversation and published it. <gasps> oh my god, that's like yes. horrible. I know. I was so offended. I was like, what you did? (laughs) 
that corrupts your brain. I know I'm not telling brain. anybody where it is because I'm so embarrassed. I'm not telling anybody where it is. So don't ask. It was just. It was. I'm. I'm mortified. I'm just. That's like my nightmare. That's going to creep in because sometimes you read things wrong so much that it creeps yeah. in, and then there's the mistake, and you've wrapped your arms around someone's W A S T E, and you're like, please no. <laughs> Please don't ever do that. Don't don't hug feces. <laughs> Stop hugging the waist. I can't bear it. But you read it so much that it just all of a sudden it's in your thought processes. And I was um I went through this phase um, where I was like trying. It was like it was like an exposure in a way of like trying to be tolerant of um, unbated and uh, sort of unfinished stuff and letting people have lots of errors. And what happened is. I would start seeing stuff that I knew backwards and forwards before I started reading really badly written stuff. And all of a sudden I'd start questioning if I knew what the grammar rules were anymore. And that's a very dark place in my mind. <laughs> it's like, that's a very dark place oh, to be. I was like, oh, I don't know. Is, is that a subjunctive or not? I can't tell. And it's just like, it's like my brain can't deal Oh, so I was like, I can't. I don't I can't read my reviews on Amazon. Except I did. I went over there the other night and I read one, and I I skipped over most of it. And um, somebody had given it three stars. I'm like, you bitch. So I click on it to see. They gave me three stars because. Marcus, the hero, that's in quotes, didn't save Riley. And I was thinking to myself, Riley's not, Marcus isn't the hero of that story. Are you fucking serious? So I had, to, I had to close it because I was going to respond, and that's just not good. Um, you just can't so respond to that dish. shit. I mean, for people to assume but, that they but know. But Riley is the hero of that story, and Marcus is the love interest if I was going to assign traditional roles to that book. And even if Riley had been female, I still wouldn't have written Marcus running coming in to save the day because that's ridiculous. And if one more person points out how abrupt the violence is in that book, I'm going to flip my shit. Because have you, you know what, if you haven't been the victim of, of um, an act of violence, you don't understand how quick it happens. 30 seconds can change your whole life. Your whole life. That drawn-out shit you see on TV is not realistic. No, it, it's not. It, it happens in an instant, and then it's over. That's why it's so horrible um, when you suffer some kind of assault. Because it's so... I mean, unless, you know, you're just hardcore getting beaten to death. Um Getting struck by another person, it isn't something that takes place over four or five minutes. It's 10, 15 seconds. Attacks, physical attacks are are short. 
and brutal. This is a terrible story, but at this one place I lived um, when I was, I was in my early 20s. And um, by the time we registered, the people across the breezeways from us, by the time we registered and had gotten up to move the gunfire, by the time we were to our feet and reaching for the phone, it was over and two people were dead. I mean, all we had managed was to get to our feet and barely react, and it was over with. I hadn't even managed so, to get my hand on the phone to call the police, and it was done, and two of my neighbors were dead. So this is not something that happens. Um, stuff like that, just just long drawn out, whatever. That this, that's just. It, I'm, I'm sure it does happen. Long drawn out altercations do happen, but I would say they're more the exception than the rule, and most violence is very quick. And before you even process what's happened, it's over. And then you get to deal with the consequences. Forever. Forever. Um, I was in a club one night in, um, I think I was in Charlottesville. Charlotte? Charlotte. I was in Charlotte, um, North Carolina. And I was in a, uh, a nightclub. And, um, on the floor dancing, and it was a whole bunch of girls out there with us, and it was just a bunch of girls, you know, it was some, some giddy pop song, um, and at the time, I would have told you that that song will never get out of my head, and I've forgotten the song, but at the time, that song was just like, oh, what a night, So we're out there dancing to Oh, What a Night. What's that, what's that song called? Oh, What a Night. You know, mm-hmm. I can't sing. Um, anyway. You got, you, got uh, the, you got the tune perfectly. <laughs> um, we're on the dance floor, and I look over, and this girl and this guy are um, having an argument. The song's called. And uh, I, turn to, I turn to my friend to, to point it out to her. I turn back around. And she put a knife in that man's gut. Holy crap. It was like 15 seconds. You have never seen people move so fucking fast out of the way. That bitch had all the room she needed. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like... And it was over. He's on the floor. His friends are looking at it like, what the fuck just happened? She still got the knife in her hand. So, dude was by himself. <laughs> I guess his friends weren't that good a friend. <laughs> it was just like, it was, um, so, you know, I um, I was tempted to snarkily apologize for, um, uh, being realistic in my story, but then I just closed it because I, you know, I, I don't actually really care that they um, didn't appreciate that I didn't assign traditional um, gender roles to my gay romance. Um, and but so, you know, something that happened in your feedback um, for that book. Uh, changed my 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 course of action on something. Oddly enough, 
Um, I had been considering doing an original fiction story for a rough trade, and I will never do it again. And someone commented on your story. They had a feedback that there was really nothing new from Rough Trade and that they were disappointed. Not true, though, because I only published 30K on um, uh, Rough Trade. Right, so I didn't finish. It was, it was unfactual at the, at the, on the face of it, but the fact that they even brought up Rough Trade or even if you had finished and then taken it straight and published it, I was like, I will never do original fiction on Rough Trade, ever. I never will again. Because of that comment. I was like, well, yeah, they accused me of basically lesson. porting it from Rough Trade into um, Amazon. Not true, because I only wrote 30-something K on Rough Trade, and I finished it at 50-something K much later. Um, okay. If that's how you want to see it. I don't but care. Even, Thank you for your money. And even, if they <laughs> had, even if you had finished it on Rough Trade, if you'd written the whole thing on Rough Trade, Rough Trade is not an archive. It's not a, technically not a public site. It's open membership, but it's not a public site and um, it's a writer's workshop and if someone finishes an original novel and goes and publishes it um, there should be no issue with that and just the whole that whole attitude just really stunned me that someone would come to um, the story with that attitude and that perspective is like oh well I was expecting so much more than what I saw in Rough Trade and blah 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 I was like and that they even brought up Rough Trade was, was rude. I I thought was rude as hell. Um, but I was like, well, I just put that original story uh, idea aside and said maybe some other time. <laughs> but not on Rough Trade. People are assholes. I think I'm going to leave with that. Someone accused story. me in an email of taking synthetic down so that I could make it original. Um, not true. I actually do have some ideas for original characters in Synthetic, but it will probably still be published for free, um, because in case you missed it, if you're listening, I don't actually have a problem coming up with new ideas, so I don't need to scrub my fanfiction to make money. And you can take that any way you want. Just saying. People are idiots. What they are. They're idiots and they're assholes. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I would have to it's weird because um I wanna say, do not read my feedback on Amazon, Jilly. <laughs> That's probably good advice. Although I did look at your I did look at your um um, I did read early on. I read your feedback, and I stumbled across my mother's feedback for your story. And I was like, "Oh, I saw her name, and I went, oh, please let her have said something nice.'" <laughs> she did. Well, you said she, she liked because, it a lot. I'd be really upset oh, if she, she loved, gave me a shitty review. Oh, she did love it, but she she is sometimes yeah. You never know what she's going to say, right? Sometimes she feels like she needs to, I don't know, get constructive criticism or something. Um, <laughs> and uh, but she didn't. She says she says this was really nice. Um, and it's one of her definitely one of her feel good stories. She reads it when she's blue. Um, so like, I actually one week I knew that there was a problem because she wrote me in the morning and's like, 
sent me a text. I read Fall for You the next day. Hey, I decided to reread Fall for You the next day. I'm reading Fall for You again, and I call her. I'm like, okay, what's wrong? <laughs> why, do you to, why do you need to feel good three days in a row? I guess I need to write her a new book, don't I? Well, I don't. I, to the essence, because Kira used her Kira name, that she could they could bring up rough, rough trade. Uh, people, you know, I think people are just assholes. They're just being an asshole. They, I mean, I just think it's an asshole. an asshole. You know, and there's a lot of you know. I don't think a lot of people. Um, uh, there's a there's resentment for rough trade um, that you might not be aware of. Um, people don't like the way I run it. They don't like that it's private now. Um, they don't like that stories disappear off of it. They don't like my policy of um, not harassing um, authors. Um, they especially don't like it when um, I told people more than once and sometimes in public that just because something appears on rough trade does not mean an author is obligated to publish it elsewhere later. It is pure to the bone reader entitlement. But people love, all people love Rough Trade, but I would say that there's a faction in fandom across the board who hate it. Oh, yeah, I would agree. And use any excuse whatsoever to criticize it. You see this come out a lot in the Fix Finder sites, because I I follow several of the Fix Finder live journals. And when Rough Trade trade goes, I think that was a Rough Trade project and it wasn't done. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it'll just be this epic bitch fest. Oh, I'm so sick of all these lost rough rough trade stories, blah, 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 blah. Then don't fucking read it. Yeah, A, don't read it. But also B... Um, if the writer had started that project somewhere else and decided not to finish it and take it down, you wouldn't be in any different situation than you are now. So shut up. But yeah, there's like it's like because it existed on the internet at some point, they think that they're entitled to be able to get to have it. And it's just, you know... There's a funny level of entitlement around things on the internet that you just don't see in it's real like, life. That you don't. I read it, so I own it. <laughs> is, that, yeah. is that what that is? <laughs> it's like I encountered it, so I must. I should be able to get it back for all eternity. And it's kind of like, um, no. Like you put it on the internet, you don't own it anymore. Excuse well, me. I am packing, Barb. Barbara just asked me, uh, what are you going to do, Kara? Force him at gunpoke point to, for, to, to, to post it elsewhere? I guess they assume I might. I mean, I, I do carry, but um, I really wouldn't do well, it you, to another writer. <laughs> well, you've also gotten people writing you and telling you that people who don't finish challenges shouldn't be allowed to participate in the next one. Yes, and, um, yes. That person got cussed out. <laughs> and that's totally reader entitlement because that's like well this person didn't satisfy me as a reader in this challenge so I don't think they should get to participate next time it's like and the whole thing is like craft this to be a reader experience not a writer experience I mean that is that person's perspective is that you should do more to craft it to be a better reader experience 
And I mean, that's just a stunning level of of well, also obliviousness when considering the stated purpose of rough trade. I was watching my site about um, about how um, fandom is um, built and geared towards readers, um, mm-hmm. and how rough trade isn't, and how that was a very um, difficult road for a lot of members coming into Rough Trade to get used to in the beginning because I didn't create a site for them. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, I could dump all the readers off Rough Trade and be happy because it's not about them. I won't right now. But if I did, it wouldn't break my heart because it's not for you. It's for writers, and readers on Rough Trade are guests. Was that ugly? <laughs> no, I don't think it's ugly. I think it's I think it's one of the reasons why it's a safe place is because it is a place where writers know that they are prioritized ahead of readers. Because literally they are not prioritized ahead of readers pretty much. I think that AO3 made an attempt, to it has attempted in many ways to give the writer a higher priority um, over the reader in like the ability to approve and like screen comments. And, and their, their um, no censorship thing I think was an attempt for writers, but I think it actually wound up being better for readers than for writers personally. Um, but um, I think they tr- they tried to kind of make it a little bit more um, about the writer. But most sites are 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 very reader centric. You know, like um, one of the challenges I participate in talks about that um, they advise you that you know it's just a friendly advice that you know you don't want a friend lock or um, um, member lock your posts on your stories because that will limit your readership. That's a very reader-centric point of view. Um, maybe I, I don't care. Told that this man mansplained to me about um, the Internet and how um, supply and demand and readership works and how my site being members only um, would impact my readers and how many readers that I gain. I responded back and told him I average 100 new readers a week. And that's no lie, by the way. That's the absolute truth. And recently I had a horrifying (laughs) revelation. I've got... um, over 13,000 members, and I installed a plug-in so that I could figure out um, uh, where the dead accounts me. were. Okay, so I thought I would just kind of clean up my database and get rid of dead accounts, accounts that haven't been logged into um, for a while. And so I installed the plug-in about four months ago, and I'm going to wait a year. And anybody who hasn't logged in in a year, I'm going to delete those accounts. Well, I hadn't really been looking at it because I, fig- I figured that would get rid of all the dead data in my database, right? I hadn't really been paying attention to it. The other day I logged in, and I went over to the plug-in, and... 
let me get over there and if I can give you an accurate number because it's ridiculous. Um, I I have thirteen thousand three hundred. No, thirteen thousand five hundred and forty-seven members, and I have twelve pending right now. Um, and out of those thirteen thousand plus members, I only have at the four-month mark on this plugin, I have forty-eight unused accounts. I expected thousands by the end of the year. And I only have 48 accounts that are uh, that are essentially dead in my database. Or they're or they're they're 4 months dead. If I post some Harry Potter, they, those those 48 people might log in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was I mean, really I could, surprised. I expected a lot of dead weight. So, um, dude, if you're listening, I really don't have a readership problem. No, you don't. And that wasn't me bragging, okay? I'm, this is this is not about bragging. This is about um, just, um, I guess, I don't even know what that was. It's, it, it was, he assumed a lot, number one, um, that I want but, new readers. I don't even advertise for anywhere anymore. But he's also assuming, and I mentioned, I think I mentioned this to you at the time, he's assuming a, um, that the value of the story is higher based upon the level of the readership. And I just don't, that, that, that is just a ridiculous mentality. Well, the a story, lot of readers put um, a lot of stock in how many comments they get, how many kudos they have, how many likes there are. Um, how many visits a fit gets. Um, I only pay attention to that when someone asks me to. <laughs> yeah. I think me and me and Lady Holder had a discussion about statistics one night, and I came over here and looked up all my shit for her um, and told her what I had um, because I don't care. Um, I know how many members I've got because, like I said, I was trying to clean out my database, but apparently there's nothing to clean out in my database. I assumed I had a lot of dead data in there, and I was trying to, you know, clean it up to keep my site clean. So I like to do that. I like to keep out all my stuff and keep it. Um, but it was kind of unnerving to realize that I have over 13,000 active members on my website. I'm like, I don't even... Granted, my husband was floored when he realized I had, like, um, a thousand Facebook friends. He was like, why do you have so many Facebook friends? <laughs> you don't know a thousand people. I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> I know Just look. <laughs> it says so. Meanwhile, on my family Facebook, I have like, I don't know, 25 friends. Um, 24, because that one person goes, my cousin disowned me uh, for, for being for being a human being. Well, 
We all need more friends than we need family. Good grief. (sighs) I would like to point out to those of you who are participating in Rough Trade right now um, that you can continue to post through the end of February. and those of you who are going to post in the future, that if you don't want comments, you can turn comments off. And if you would like to do that, um, just let me know, and I'll walk you through that process. Um, It's really easy. After you post your post, you go back to the post screen, and if you do a quick edit, there's a little button you can check to uncheck comments. Because you don't have to accept comments on Rough Trade. That is is totally um, up to you. And if you don't want them, I won't let anybody post on them. You just got to let me know. Because I have been tempted to turn comments off off on my posts. <laughs> I almost turned off comments once. I think it was in July. Um, no, it was April. It was April. Because um, people were saying very nice things that about stuff that I wasn't writing. And it was really distracting me. <laughs> I was like, I was where like, did they get that? Where did they get that? Where did they get that? Holy shit. There was a moment earlier in the year when I seriously considered putting SmackDown on the taboo comment list. Because <laughs> yeah. if one more person had said, I I love this SmackDown, I'd be like, oh, fuck you. Stop saying it. I fucking... And Cliffhanger and Cliffy has become my new I hate Cliffy. I hate the word Cliffy. Are you a fucking adult? Say Cliffhanger. And actually, I had, I had don't a, even comment on it. Yeah. Because you don't even I know what a whole, fucking Cliffhanger is. I had a whole rant on Facebook about just because you don't know what happens next does not mean it's a Cliffhanger. Um, but I'll unless you a, a trigger, Cliffhanger. Yeah, because unless a trigger has been pulled and you don't know who got you shot. You don't know who got shot. <laughs> it is not a Cliffhanger. Shut up. I was getting comments like um, in in July every single chapter, and I tend to post full chapters. I don't tend to stop mid chapter. I did it once um, in November, um, stopped mid chapter, and and I will agree it was a cliffhanger, and it was totally a copy paste error because I meant to copy um, one less paragraph than I did. So I moved into mm-hmm. a new action and stopped it in the middle, and I was like, shit. But it was already up there by the time I noticed. It was like the next morning when I noticed it, and I was like, ugh. But um, so I'm not, I'm not legitimately with a cliffhanger because I just I went right into the next action, and I, I just copied. I was mid-chapter, but I tend to post full chapters, and it is very rare, very rare, even at the end of a chapter where I'm leaving a, a true cliffhanger. Um, it does happen occasionally, but I do use cliffhangers very sparingly because I tend to find them personally annoying. When every chapter ends on a cliffhanger, I find it to be artificial tension. As a as a reader, that's the way I feel about it. So I tend to avoid stories that have cliffhangers, true cliffhangers at the end of every chapter. Because even if the whole story is done, it just annoys me. <laughs> like, what the fuck? The thing is, is there was a terrible book written about the process of writing and in that book and i'm not going to name the book or the title or the author this ridiculous person who wrote this ridiculous book suggested a good way to build tension and to keep your reader interested 
was to always end your chapters on a cliffhanger. It is the single dumbest piece of advice I've ever seen written down for writing. It's just absurd. It's just absurd. It's completely unnecessary. And if that's your only if that that's if that's your only mechanism for creating tension, is that one page turn to get people to turn the page and go to the next chapter. Um, you need to go back to the drawing board and work on on. <laughs> Look, if in the narrative of your story, at the end of your chapter, at the end of every chapter, you could have an announcer saying, "Oh, Daisy." You got a problem. And if you don't get that reference, you fetus. <laughs> you get that reference? Yeah. For those fetuses who don't get that reference, um, there was a TV show in the 80s, and it was called The Dukes of Hazard. And Daisy was a character on The Dukes of Hazzard. Um, she was their cousin. Um, Bo and Luke Duke, she was the cousin. Not really the cousin, but they, but they pretended she was the cousin. Um, anyway, why do I remember that? Oh, God. The things that get stuck in your head. And her name was Daisy Duke. Um, and whenever Daisy would get in trouble, the, um, the show narrator announcer guy, it would, like, cut before, before a commercial. You would see, like, a still frame, and it would go, oh, Daisy. <laughs> oh, Daisy, what are you going to do? <laughs> Oh, Daisy. So if you got an announcer at the end of your chapter saying, oh, Daisy, every fucking time, you got a problem. Yeah. Oh, Daisy. Or there was, um, I read a story with a book, book or, I remember, actually I cannot remember if it was fan fiction or a novel. And since I read, the, read everything <laughs> on um but anyway, at the end of every chapter, almost every chapter, it was there was some kind of cliffhanger at the end of every chapter. But it was usually the form of someone running into the room and announcing that someone had been hurt or died, or someone just arrived, or some act. It was always somebody announcing the action that had happened just then. And of course, it's not enough detail to keep you give you any information. It's just someone was hurt, someone died, someone arrived. There's someone at the door. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to stab somebody, and I didn't even read it. <laughs> and then the chapter ends, and it's like, and all, I mean, it's a, it was, it was a finish, it was a finished work. So all that's doing is getting you to turn the page. And you know, I just, if the story's good, I'm gonna turn the page anyway. I don't need the artificial tension. So, but most things people call cliffhangers aren't cliffhangers. It's just because you don't know the next thing that's gonna happen doesn't mean that it's a cliffhanger. That's just called the story. Barbara, did you just moon us? Did Barbara just moon us? Is that a moon? It is a moon. I feel mooned. <laughs> I feel mooned too. That's some serious butt crack going on. <laughs> See, I thought butt. I immediately saw ass. That's just how I'm wired, I, I guess. See, I see butt too. Meanwhile, Lady Horse sees tits. So, um, we see how she's wired. <laughs> I've always been an ass person. Oh. Someone said in the chat room, um, 
or an author wants people to comment on a chapter before they'll post more. Whenever I see that shit on a story, even if the story is finished, even if the story has been finished for five years, and I see that shit, I need 20 comments before I post the next part, I will close that shit so fast because they don't deserve my attention. Fuck you. Yeah. I found Double the butt emoticon. There you go. <laughs> That's the butt? That's okay. the butt. And that does look like a butt. It, yeah. It what might even have like a butt. How did you get that symbol in the middle? How did you get the I don't butt know, crack? I copied, I copied and pasted it. I got my, the butt crack. I kept it copied. It's called the bubble butt emoticon. Oh, okay. Or for those of you who are on the podcast who have no idea what we're talking about, we're talking about um, typed emoticons in the chat room. I apologize. I have been told <laughs> sometimes that um, we get off on little tangents and the stuff in the chat room, and it's really confusing for the podcast. My bad. Um, but um, that's just the inherent uh, yeah, um, pitfall yeah, of a like- live podcast. Yeah, exactly, with the chat room. Um, Claire said something earlier, a little bit up that I just want to mention. She said sometimes as a writer she writes to a cliffhanger, but she doesn't post at the cliffhanger. And, and that actually is a brilliant strategy that I use when I'm having a little bit time, hard time struggling with motivation is to write to the cliffhanger. And then um, because what happens is I want to get back to it. Um, it gets me back to the computer to keep writing if I leave it somewhere high tension, high drama. So that actually can be I don't really know good if strategy. I walk away though. Oh, I can. <laughs> I'm like, this is the perfect spot to stop because it's going to drive me crazy for the next 12 hours, and I'll be right back at it. <laughs> Did you see the BDSM butt? I guess that's a spanking. I'd say caning. Yeah. Nice those line. Some, those are some high quality marks right there. So, folks, it's a. Speaking, it's a, oh. speaking of of caning. Um, are you going to cane somebody? No. But like I said, I was I was working on the North Star and um uh I don't know, people. It's so dirty. I mean, it was just it was really uncomfortable. I mean, I was like, I can't believe I wrote this filthy stuff. <laughs> but I have a scene in the North Star where um where um John is um caning um but the big problem with the north star is that um my my baby cisco died while i was um writing a particular scene and i had a scene where um john and rodney are in a location and um there's a there's a dog in that scene and it it was plotted where this team um had brought the dog in for um to help uh track if john left the, the house um so it was plotted in. Um, but because I lost Cisco, John kept the dog. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Anyway, I got 29 seconds before the podcast ends. I'll see you guys tomorrow, um, Saturday night. Uh, and uh, I hope you have a great Friday. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>